we are going to continue. We're continuing a series called Divine Direction. And um, this series is all about choices. Specifically, we are trying to figure out how we can be confident that we're making the right choice and how we can be confident that we are doing what God wants us to do and in the places God wants us to be in. We would call that, the Bible would call that God's will, but you could call it a lot of things. You could call it God's plan. Uh, you could call it destiny. You could call it purpose, whatever you want to call it. But we said last week as we started this series that all of us want to be sure, we want to have confidence that we're in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. Isn't that true? That like the worst thing that could ever happen to us is that we're successful at the wrong thing. That would be pretty, pretty terrible, right? And so we wanna be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. And for us as believers in Jesus, the right place is wherever God wants us to be. We wanna be where God wants us to be at the time God wants us to be there doing what God wants us to do. And so uh, we're continuing that series today to get us some confidence, to help us find some. We're gonna be in 1 Samuel chapter nine. If you have a Bible, open up that Bible. I'd love for you to read along with us. Maybe it's on your phone. If not, no big deal. It'll be up on the screen for you and, um, and you can read along with, with us there. In 1954, a milkshake salesman named Ray Kroc was traveling the country trying to sell his company's milkshake multi-mixer. Milkshake multi-mixer. And uh, sales were plummeting, so it, it got Ray's attention when a burger stand in San Bernardino, California, purchased eight of his multi-mixers. Now, what you gotta know about the multi-mixer is that the multi-mixer could make eight milkshakes at a time. Come on, that's, that sounds like Jesus. That's, that's heaven. That's what heaven's gonna be like, eight milkshakes at a time. And so... And so the multi-mixer could make eight at a time and somebody ordered eight. So that's some restaurant or burger stand was needing to make 64 milkshakes at a time. And so when Ray heard about the order, he assumed that it was a mistake. So he called to find out, you know, what the actual number was. It wasn't a mistake. They really needed eight multi-mixers. And so he had to see this place. What kind of place would need to make 64 milkshakes at one time, and so he left Illinois. He traveled all the way to San Bernardino, California, and when he got there, he pulled up to a burger stand with a long line of people waiting to get served. He ordered some food. He fell in love with the burger. It was cooked just right, and the bun was toasted just right. He fell in love with the French fries. It, just, it, was, it was crunchy on the outside, but soft on the inside. Anybody hungry yet? Come on. He... he, he he fell in love with it, and he had a chance to meet the owners, Richard and Maurice McDonald. Croc was blown away by the efficiency of the kitchen and how everything operated and how successful the business was. And so he had this idea to franchise McDonald's. You probably know the rest of the story. When Croc died in 1984, there was 70, there were 7,500 McDonald's locations in 31 countries grossing over 8 billion in sales. Today, including this little gym we've got on the corner down here, <laughs> there are 36,899 McDonald's all over the world. And it all started 
Because a guy who sold milkshake multi-mixers, say that three times fast, traveled from Illinois to California to look at a burger stand. Can we just be honest this morning and admit that at some level, at some level, all of us want our story to be a little bit like that. You may not want to franchise a McDonald's. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that all of us would love to be able to tell a story about our lives that has one of those like, aha, light bulb, everything changed type of moments, right? Like we would love to be able to tell our story and say, you know, I was working, you know, nine to five and I was just kind of going through the motions and then all of a sudden everything changed. We would love to be able to have one of those stories with a life-defining moment when, when it all kind of came together. Maybe you're working a dead-end job and you hate it. You hate it. And, and, and while you're sitting at your desk or while you're driving into work dreading it, you are imagining in your head a scenario, a dream, where it won't always be this way. You think to yourselves, you know, one of these days I'm going to be the boss. One of these days I'm going to start that business. Like, like you see it in your head, you see how it's going to go and, and how, you know, how successful it's going to be and how much all your employees are going to love you and you, you, just, you can see it in your head. Maybe, maybe today you're single and you're thinking to yourself, I'm, it's not always going to be this way. Like you imagine it in your head right now and he's like 6'4", 227 with like 1% body fat and he is, I mean like you, you see it, you see it. You see her, she's amazing. And you, you play it out in your head, you, you, you see the house you're going to live in, and, and you see, you know, you know what you're going to name your kids, and you've, you've played out that scenario a million times in, in your head. And you just, you're just hoping and praying and, and wondering, like, when is it going to happen? When is that moment going to come? Maybe you're addicted to something that has dominated your life, and you, you imagine you imagine in your head, you can see in your head what your life will look like when one day you figure out how to kick it. One day you learn the secret. One day you're able to finally put it behind you. What would life look like? You can see it or imagine it. You're in debt and it's deep. It's a deep hole. But you keep thinking to yourself, like one day it's not gonna be like this. Like we're gonna, you know, maybe you keep telling your spouse, like, babe, it ain't gonna be like this forever. Just hang on, you know? We're gonna get out of this hole. We're gonna make money. We're gonna win the lottery. Like you, you, you see it in your mind. All of us, at some level, probably you know, to the degree of how miserable you feel at the moment, all of us wanna have some life-defining moments that change everything when it just seems to, to change. And, and, and we want God's plan for our life, but come on, let's be honest, it would be kind of nice if God's plan for our life was awesome, you know? It's like, Jason, okay, I wanna do what God wants me to do, but I really hope he wants me to do something awesome, all right? And I really hope that it's better than what I have now. Can I just tell you some good news? It is. That God's plans for your life are so amazing, and they're better than your plans. Even what you're imagining in your head, the best case scenario, God's plans are better than your best case scenario. So it is better than how it is right now. And God's plans for your life are awesome, but how does it happen? 
How does it happen? How do we get to those moments and scenarios that we see in our mind? Is it all chance? Is it all coincidence? Is it providence? What role does God play in all of that? Like, like Jason, how can I get from where I am to what I see in my head? Like, are there just a few people in life who just hit the DNA jackpot and like their life's just gonna be awesome and mine's not gonna be awesome unless I get lucky or I marry somebody with money or like, like what, how does, how does that happen? Well, for the second week of this series, I wanna answer this question. Here's the question we're finding an answer to today. How do you end up in a great place? How do you end up in a great place? At some level, haven't we all wondered that? Don't we wanna know that? Like, is it a total crapshoot? Is it a total roll of the dice? Like, how can I end up, Jason, in a great place? How can I be successful? How can I put it all together? How can I clean up this mess? How can I fix it all? How can I end up in a great place? Now, we know that great place is a relative term, right? Because what you think is a great place, I may think sounds terrible. And what I think is a great place, you know, you, you think, you know, that's pretty awful. So, so great is relative. What I'm not saying today is how you can be rich. What I'm not saying today is how you can be successful because all of those things are, I would be willing to go ahead and say, you're probably wealthy, even though you don't feel like it, and you're probably successful, even though you don't feel like it. So I'm not describing great in a one-size-fits-all category. The greatest place that any of us could ever be is right in the middle of God's will for our life, God's plan for our life. And the worst thing that could happen is to be successful at the wrong thing. So we wanna be in the place that God wants us to be, doing what God uh, wants us to do, at the right place, at the right, at the right time. But how does it happen? How does it happen? Is there something that is within our, our control? Well, the Bible's gonna teach us a little bit this morning, and there's a story in 1 Samuel chapter nine about a guy named Saul. You may know him as King Saul, uh, but he was not actually king yet. <clears throat> king yet, he's gonna become king actually in, in the story that we're gonna read today but it's not gonna happen until the very end. And I actually thought that maybe that would be the best place to start the story would be at the very end. Let's see what happens and then go back to the beginning and maybe we can piece together some principles or some, some truths for our lives that can help us accomplish something great. So if you have your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 27. It's actually the last verse in 1 Samuel chapter 9. It'll be up on the screen for you. This is what it says. It says, stay here. This is somebody talking to Saul. He says, stay here. I have received a special message for you from God. Can we just stop for a second and be like, uh, yes, please. I'll take that. Like, I would love, wouldn't that be amazing? Like, I would love to have just a special message from God, like, like Bible times, Jason. Like, I, wanna, I want like a finger to write on a wall. I want my dog to talk to me. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, God, I don't know what should, I should do. And your dog's like, plan A. Like, it's from God, you know? Some of y'all think your dog is talking to you. I'm not, we can't go there, but that's a whole different topic. Anyway, so like, this is incredible. This verse is pretty incredible. Like, through someone talking to Saul, Saul says, or he says to Saul, I have a message from God for you. And I think we could all read that and be like, uh, yeah, I'll sign up for that. I want that. 
Like, Jason, can I book a meeting with you Tuesday, like, so you could give me a message from God? Like, I want to have that. Keep reading. Next chapter, first verse, so it goes together, same story. Then Samuel, that's who was doing the talking, took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head, which sounds insane, but that's how they did it back then. He kissed Saul and said, I'm doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. Let me just translate, interpret. He's going to be king. So just wrap your head around this for a second. Samuel says to Saul, I have a special message from God, and here's the message. You're going to be king. That's quite a day. I mean, that's a pretty good day right there. I, I would like that day. That's a, that's a good day right there. I have a message for you, and you're going to like this message. You are going to be king. All of us would love for something like that to happen in our lives, right? Like, you ain't got to raise your hand, but let's just call it what it is. Man, a message from God and being king. Now, listen, the point of today's sermon is not that you're going to be king, right? That it's not about being a king. We're going to learn some principles out of this. The, the, the moral of the story is not one day God's going to make you a king. But I do believe and I know that God's plans for your life are incredible, so how can we get to a place where we receive confirmation for God and find out or find that place where something incredible happens for us? Because we all want to experience success, climb the ladder, be at some place. We want to start a successful business. We want to be in a band that gets a record deal. We want to write a best-selling book or find the perfect spouse or climb to the top of our profession. We've all dreamed about it played it out in our minds, but it's not just random. We're going to go back to the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 9 and read the beginning of the story to see how we got to this place, all right? And there are two truths specifically in this story, and I just want to give you a heads up. These are incredibly simple truths, but they're not easy. Isn't that how it works in life? That all the things that are best for you to do, like you don't want to do, you know, like the things, like, you know, I, I'll just take another donut. Like, I don't want to hear that. Um, but they're very simple truths, but they're not easy truths. And so if we go all the way back to the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 9, if you happen to have a Bible still out and you're looking at your Bible, 99% of Bibles have a little heading at the top of the chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 9. There's going to be a little heading that just kind of summarizes what you're about to read. And my Bible says, and your Bible probably says, Saul meets Samuel. That's probably what it says, right? Saul meets Samuel. But that statement's a little misleading because he does meet Samuel at the very end. We just read that. But there's a whole lot of other things that happen before Saul meets Samuel. And let's read about it, starting with verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, There was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. And he was the son of a bunch of guys' names we can't pronounce of the tribe of Benjamin. His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulder, shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. And one day, Kish's donkeys strayed away, and he told Saul, take a servant with you and go look for the donkeys. So Saul took one of the servants and traveled through the hill country of Ephraim, the land of another thing we can't pronounce, and the entire land of Benjamin. But they couldn't find the donkeys anywhere. 
You know, anytime we hear about someone's success, anytime we hear about a success story, we always tell the success story in a statement, right? So we say things like, Steve Jobs created the iPod. Or we say, Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook. Or Jason and Andrea got married or whatever. So-and-so got drafted or whatever it is. And those statements are true, but they don't really, it's really kind of a disservice to the miracle of the whole process and the whole story because success is not a one-time, one-statement type of thing, right? So, so at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 9, Saul meets Samuel, Saul becomes king. But it would be unfair for us to just stand up here and say, well, Saul became king because there's some truths, there's some principles. It's really easy for us. Here's what we see at the very beginning. We see that Saul's dad had money, and we see that Saul was a head, head and shoulders taller than everybody else, which is an experience I've never experienced in my life. Always one of the shortest people in the room, okay? And so according to this, Saul is good looking. He's, he's muscular. He's tall. I mean, he's a stud, okay? And his dad has money. It would be really easy for us to go, well, of course he's king. Of course it worked out for Saul. His dad's got money and he's a stud, that stuff never happens to me. It always happens to, to other people. He, hear me this morning. It's so easy when life is not going the way that you want it to go to play the victim. And it's so easy to look at people who have things going for them and somehow make excuses or blame or you be the victim. Well, that yeah, his dad had money. He's a stud. I didn't grow up with two parents. I didn't grow up in that neighborhood. No one abused them. I was abused. All these things that happened to us and they are legitimate. Totally legitimate. But Saul didn't become king because his dad had money and he was a stud. We always judge people on the outer appearance, right? Well, yeah, that makes sense because A, B, C, and D, but that's not what was necessarily happening. What we read in the first four verses was Saul's dad, who has money, lost some donkeys. And he asked Saul to go get it and Saul goes and gets the donkeys. And so juxtaposing the beginning of the story to the end of the story, at the end of the story, Saul becomes king. At the beginning of the story, he goes on a donkey retrieval mission. <laughs> a donkey retrieval mission. No one likes donkey missions. Nobody. When you go to lunch today with somebody who goes to another church, you're like, oh, what'd your pastor preach about? You tell them donkey missions. <laughs> Nobody likes donkey missions. Nobody wants to go on donkey missions. Donkey missions are those things that feel pointless, meaningless, miserable, filing paperwork, changing diapers. Come on, come on. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you're buying your food with food stamps or you're coming home to an empty house. You're driving a car that keeps breaking down. You're in a situation that feels so pointless and, and, and like God is somehow punishing you and you're seeing other people have incredible things happen to them and you can't understand why it's not happening for you. I love this story because it lets me know that even though Saul's daddy had money and even though he was handsome and built and tall, and all that stuff, that at some point in all of our lives, we'll have to go on some donkey missions. 
We're going to have to do some things that we don't want to do and go through some things that we don't want to go through. So he, so he starts on a donkey mission and he ends up as king and that encourages me too because it lets me know that no matter what I'm going through, the chances are really good it's just the season, that it's not gonna be this way forever. And in these four short verses, we see two really important traits from the life of Saul, two really important traits that Saul had about him that I believe with all of my heart, if we had in us or things that we practice just like he did, that we would find ourselves in some more of those moments like he found himself at the end. But you probably missed it when we read it because it doesn't jump out. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't something like, you know, success 101. No, it was really seemingly insignificant things, but they were so significant. The first thing we see out of Saul is we see submission. Submission. It's like, oh, God, submit. Why are we talking about submission? I thought we were talking about being great, Jason. We are. Did you notice what we read at the story? At the beginning of the story, one day, Kish's donkey strayed away, and he told Saul, take a servant with you and go look for the donkeys. Saul, whose dad was rich and who is stronger, taller, and better looking than everyone else, has to go find donkeys. Now, what I would have done, because I paid to get my grass cut, is I would have said, hey, dude who doesn't have a job, here's $50, go find my donkeys. That's what I would have done. I wouldn't have asked my most talented person to go track down donkeys. I have a nine-year-old and an almost six-year-old, and when I ask them to do anything, they give the universal nine-year-old, six-year-old sign language for, I don't agree with you, Dad, the eye roll, right? (laughs) Well, I got to do that, you know? So, I, so imagine Saul's dad going to him and saying, listen, I know you're not gonna wanna do this, but I want you to go find the donkeys. The Bible tells us that Saul doesn't even argue with him. Dad, God, dad, your kids ever say that? Dad, I don't wanna go, that's stupid, dad. I don't wanna go find the donkeys, right? The Bible says he got his servant and he left and he went and did what was asked of him. Submission will take you farther than ambition ever will. And it goes against our very nature because we think the people who are successful and who are in great places just kind of like, you know, forgot about, you know, any system. They broke the rules. They got outside of the box. But when you find successful people or people who are in great places, most of the time you're gonna find somebody who at one season of their life was good at submitting to authority or doing things that they did not want to do. Because if you're willing to do things that you don't want to do with a good spirit, you'll eventually get to do the things that you want to do. But if your posture or your attitude about life is like, well, I don't want to do it, that doesn't, you know, make me feel fulfilled. I'm not, I don't want to, that doesn't make me happy. That's not what I want to do with my life. You're going to be waiting around forever trying to find an opportunity because opportunities come to those people who are willing to work hard at something that they don't necessarily want to do for a season. Can I just talk to all the like, I don't want to say millennials because that buzz, I'm technically, I guess I'm a millennial, but let me just talk to all the young 20-somethings in the room. This really applies to everybody because it's a culture problem, but let me really talk to the early 20s in the room. You're probably not going to get to do everything that you love for a career. 
you probably won't get to make all of your money only doing things that you thoroughly enjoy. And you look at your mom or dad and you're like, man, I love what they have. I want a house like this. I want money like that. I want to be able to go eat at that restaurant. Well, of course you do. They've been busting their butt for 30 years. It's like, well, I don't want that job because they're going to make me work third shift. Okay. Well, they'd only pay this much money or, well, I would have to do, I would have to work weekends, you know, and I don't, or, or, and I'm not trying to mock you, please hear me, because all of us have that rebelliousness in us or, or we want to please ourselves, like all of us have that. But we, we are offended that we would ever be asked to do something that we don't want to do. And we think that we've earned the right or somehow we're entitled to only ever have to do the things that bring us joy. But if you'll do the things you don't want to do with a great spirit, you will get to do the things you want to do. You will. Because submission will take you farther than ambition ever will. And so you're probably going to have to do some things you don't want to do. Not probably, you will. But if you will show up and you will work and you will submit, and listen, I know your parents are stupid. I got it. I got it. You're smarter. Totally get it. I, I, I totally understand. Your boss is an idiot. Got it. Totally get it. You're smarter than him. I totally understand what you mean. I get it. But the Bible says that all authority comes from God. All of it. You're like, well, what about? Yep. Yep. Not my boss, because the only reason he got that job is because his dad is, nope. All the authority. And did you know that the Bible teaches us that there are seasons of our life where God intentionally puts us under authority that's not great authority just to see how we'll handle it? So it is entirely possible that you're driving into a job with an idiotic boss just so God can see if he can trust you to show up and to work hard at something you don't want to do. You're like, yeah, but I mean, my, my teacher, he, he, they shouldn't even be allowed to teach. That's how dumb they are. And this is just a side note. This is not the point of the message. But parents, let's please be careful about how we talk about authority in front of our children. Because they learn from us how to, how to handle that. And so here is Saul, who is a stud, who has unlimited opportunities from a wealthy family. And he's spending his week or his weekend walking around trying to find his daddy's donkeys, right? Submission, being able to submit, being able to not roll your eyes or to huff or to puff and, and, to, and to do what someone asks you to do or tells you to do that you don't want to do. It's what makes someone great. You wanna be the boss? How do you treat your boss? You want to be in charge? How do you treat those who are in charge? Because that's the mark of whether or not you're ready to be in charge. So number one, we see that Saul had this trait, this quality about him of submission, of submission. I'm going to do what's asked of me because someone who is over me told me to, and I'm not going to complain about it. But the second thing we see out of Saul is that he had work ethic. Ooh, this is like the least spiritual sermon, right? You're like, submission and work ethic. What the heck? Tell me something about God. I am. Saul 
went because someone who's over him told him to go. And then did you, did you see what happened? You probably missed it when we read it. It says, finally, they entered the region of Zuff, and Saul said to his servant, uh, or I'm sorry, it says, uh, so Saul took one of his servants and traveled through the hill country of Ephraim, and then to another land, and then to another land, and the entire land of Benjamin, but they could not find the donkeys anywhere. I don't know how you would have acted, but I know how I would have acted. If I was told to go find somebody else's donkeys, and I didn't want to go anyway, when I got to Ephraim, and I'm like, I don't see them. Let's go home. Right? That's what you would have done too. It's like, well, we gave it a shot. You know, we looked, but it ain't here. Hey, on our way home, let's stop by, you know, Six Flags. Let's have a good time. Like, we can say we tried. We can put in the minimum amount of effort required of us so that we can say we did it. But that's not what Saul did. Saul's like, We looked everywhere, but it's not here. Let's go check over there. We looked everywhere, but it's not over there. Let's go check over here. We looked everywhere. Three, four, five, six, seven days perhaps throughout the whole land or territory of Benjamin is what the Bible says. You know, if I was God and I was looking for somebody to be king, you know who I think would make a great king? Somebody who is willing to keep searching for somebody else's donkeys that they didn't even want to go search for anyway. Because we think being in charge is about being the boss and about getting to tell everybody what to do. Do you know what being a leader and being in charge is about? It's it's about having to show up when nobody else wants to show up. It's about having to take bullets when everybody's hiding because nobody wants to take bullets. And so if you're looking for somebody who could be a leader, you look for somebody who says, listen, I'm gonna do what's asked of me even though I don't wanna do it and I'm not going to put in the minimum amount of effort required. I'm gonna go above and beyond and do everything that I can to try to accomplish what was asked of me. That's who's ready for leadership. It's like, well, I wanna be the boss because I wanna tell everybody what to do. That's not being a boss. That's not being a leader. You want God to elevate you somewhere? How hard do you work to help someone else accomplish what they need accomplished? And then God says, I could trust that one. He's willing to go to four different territories to find his dad's donkeys? That guy could be a good king. That guy could be a good king. So he kept looking. And he kept looking. And he kept looking. In verse 5, we keep reading. It says, finally, they entered the region of Zuff. And Saul said to his servant, let's go home. By now my father will be more worried about us than about the donkeys. We've been gone so long and we've been searching so hard that he's probably worried about us that something happened to us. That's how long we've been searching. So we need to get back. And I love this next verse. I've got it like circled like four times in my Bible. I love this next verse. It says, but the servant said, I just thought of something. And Saul's probably thinking, like, now you thought of something? Like, you couldn't have thought about something earlier? But that's not the way that it works with God. Because we get our best ideas while we're working hard on something else. Right? He says, hey, I just thought about something. After we've done what was asked of us that we probably didn't want to do, and after we've given maximum effort To accomplish the goal, now I've got an idea. We could say it like this. Inspiration seems to happen to people who have perspiration. We could say that. 
We could say revelation comes in the middle of routine things. We could say that. We could say innovation comes from the seemingly insignificant things that we do in life. But if I had to pick one way to say it, here's how I would say it. God usually moves after you do. God usually moves after you do. So our posture is like, well, I'm just gonna sit right here and when God's ready, he'll let me know. Still waiting. Still, still haven't got that job. Still haven't started that business. Still, still haven't made some of the right choices I needed to make, but God, you'll let me know when you're ready to get me to move. Still haven't done what I know I should have done, but God, you'll let me know when it's time. That's not the way it works. See, God's will for your life is not a treasure map. Did you know that? That there's not some secret map somewhere that it's not, it's not like one of those maps at the mall that's like, you're here and you're gonna end up here. X marks the spot. When I get done, this is where you're gonna end up. You have no idea where you're gonna end up. God's will's not a treasure map, but you know what it is? It's a scavenger hunt. That God's gonna give you just enough information to go to the first location. And you have no idea what's coming next. But when you get to location number one, you know what? God's gonna give you a word, an idea, a sermon, a conversation, a prompting, a nudging. And you're gonna be like, I think I'm supposed to go over here. And you're gonna get over there to step two and you're gonna be like, well, I don't really know what to do next, but you're gonna get a word, an idea, a prompting, a nudging, something, and you gotta go over there. And so you go over there and you're on step three and you're on step four and you're on step five. And ultimately you end up in this incredible place, this great place of God's plan for your life. And people are like, well, how did you end up there? And you're like, well, let me connect the dots. It's like 1,700 steps of going here, trusting that, failing there, succeeding there. And so here's Saul's servant. And he's like, hey, I, I just thought of something. Because that's always the way that it works. The best ideas come like in the middle of you working hard on something else. Don't underestimate the hunches, the nudges, the promptings that you cannot shake in your life. It's probably God. It's probably God. And so we'll finish the story. The servant has this idea and he says, there's this man of God who lives here in this town and he's held in high honor by all the people because everything he says comes true. Let's go find him. Perhaps he can tell us which way to go. But we don't have anything to offer him, Saul replied. Even our food is gone and we don't have a thing to give him. Well, the servant said, I have one small silver piece. We can at least offer it to the man of God. And I love these last three or four words. And see what happens. And see what happens. You're like, Jason, I don't really want to move until I'm sure. That's not how you follow God. You're like, I'm 51% sure. Okay, we're going. God doesn't provide certainty. Man, I wish he did. Wouldn't that be awesome? But he doesn't. He says, I got an idea. Look, we've already done what we maybe didn't want to do anyway, but we did it honorably and faithfully. And we've looked at three or four locations and we haven't found them. Hey, I just got this idea. I don't know if it's going to work, but let's see what happens. Go talk to somebody who's ended up in a great place that God has blessed and ask them their story. And it's going to sound just like that. Well, I had this crazy idea and I wasn't sure, but we did this. And then we went here and that didn't work. And then we went here and then, you know, we're like, hey, it worked. It worked. See what happens. If it's God, it'll work. If it's not, it won't. See what happens. So how do you end up in a great place? 
How do you embrace this incredible plan that God has for your life? We read it. We read it. We take a step until we know what the next step is. And then we take another step until we know what the next step is. And then we take another step. And we keep working hard on things we're not excited about until we get to do something we're excited about. And one day, probably in a place you didn't expect, at a time that you could have never predicted, God connects the dots of your life and it ends up better than you ever imagined it could be because you took step one and then you took step two and then you took step three. And then everybody says, you're so lucky. (laughs) No, but I'm willing to show up and to work hard at things that I don't really want to do. And then God says, I can trust him to do something he really wants to do. So I wrote down three prayers and we'll wrap this up. Three prayers that I feel like all of us in the room could, could, could associate with one of these prayers. Number one, here, here's the first prayer. First prayer is, God, give me the courage to submit. I mean, we could spend, we probably will at another time, we could spend a whole sermon on this. But some of you in here, like, this is the issue that's holding you back. You cannot submit to authority. You can't submit to authority. And every boss you have is a jerk. And every relationship that you're in where there's an authority figure in your life, they're always wrong and they're always doing you wrong. And they're always like, God, give me the courage to submit. God, I hate this job and I hate that boss. Let me tell you, God, if you'll help me, I'm gonna show up 15 minutes early tomorrow. I'm gonna iron my shirt. I'm gonna stop by Starbucks because I know my boss likes coffee. And so I'm gonna pick up some coffee. I'm I'm gonna work hard. I'm not gonna talk bad about him to the people that I work with. I'm gonna ask if he needs me or she needs me to do anything extra. I'm not gonna get on Facebook for an hour and a half. I'm not gonna take longer at my lunch than I need to take. If I get to the end of my work day and I'm not done with my project yet, but I know 20 more minutes of hard work could probably knock it out. I'm gonna stick around for 20 more minutes and I'm gonna work it out. And when I get ready to walk out the door, I'm gonna knock on the door of my boss or her. I'm gonna say to her, him or her, hey, is there anything else you need me to do? Because you know who would make a great boss one day? somebody who's willing to work like that. God, give me the courage to submit. Second prayer is this. God, give me the courage to keep working hard. Some of you, it's not a submission problem, but you are ready to quit. You are ready to throw in the towel and to just kind of just sit back and say, you know what? I'm not gonna put in maximum effort because I've been trying that and it hadn't worked. Don't you quit. Keep working hard. Keep looking for them donkeys. Keep keep looking. Maybe you need to write that down and put that somewhere in your mirror. Find the donkeys today. Just write it down. You're like, oh, I know where the donkeys are. But you just write it down. Write it down. That was the Holy Spirit. Number three. I'm kidding. Number three, third prayer. God, give me the courage to take step one. Some of you, your problem is not submission. Your problem is not work ethic. Some of you, your problem is fear. You have paralysis by analysis. You're so afraid to take a step because you want to make sure everything makes sense. You'll figure it out. 
See what happens. If it's God, it'll work. If not, you'll be all right. See what happens. God, give me the courage to take step one. Maybe step one's a conversation. Maybe step one is a job application. Maybe step one is confession. Maybe step one is rehab. Maybe step one is counseling. Maybe step one is going back to school. Maybe step one is starting that book. Whatever it is, God, give me the courage to stop thinking about it or dreaming about it. Help me take step one. Because God usually moves after you do. Let's pray.